Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked movies, one mainstream and one cult. I'm your host, comedian and film critic Nate Wyckoff. And as often, I pulled out my headphones just now there we go the wonders of electronics uh with us as often is tad mastroni how are you doing tad hey. hey he's italian if you can't tell and also with us as often is jeffrey tucker how you doing jeff i'm doing great because i'm a man so i'm allowed to make planes and design planes oh <laughs> getting, getting right into it with this one uh yeah sound, you sound like a pig uh and we also have with us greg johnson how you doing greg oh you know i'm here you know what that's it that's all i can ask that's all i can ask that's basically what every employer i've ever had has said it's like just please be here um yeah so i'm excited for this we have a studio ghibli double shot now there are some of you i just said that studio ghibli who just got mad they just got mad and they're like it's studio ghibli here's the deal with this okay people asked studio head and founder hayao miyazaki which is the proper pronunciation and what he said was it was intended to be one but then they used it in something else and said the other so basically it's whatever so i say studio ghibli um that's the way it is deal with it you can just tune out every time i say it if it really bugs you if you don't agree now uh many of you are saying i don't know what the hell you're talking about nate you are speaking gibberish uh studio ghibli is probably the most famous japanese animation studio um there are of course others that are very famous but studio ghibli is sort of the it's it's escaped the bounds of uh, Japanese anime to become an international uh, symbol of excellence in animation um, and also specifically excellence in wide audience family films. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some really deep, difficult to watch tragic things uh, in Studio Ghibli, which we'll get into on this double shot. Um, but first, we're going to talk about the uh, 1980, I believe it's 1985, uh, or 1984, depending on your release date, film Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Now, the reason we chose this as the, quote, mainstream film is because this one is a little more well-known and was known earlier, not just because it's older, but because it got a release early on in the U.S., which we'll talk about and then we're going to follow up next weekend with the lesser known film, uh, although it has been since released uh, by Disney, which uh, most Studio Ghibli films have been released by Disney in the United States, Uncut, which we will talk about. And that film is Porco Rosso from 1992. Now, very different films, yet very signature Studio Ghibli. And I'm very excited to talk about him because I absolutely love these films. I also want to mention we'll probably be joined, uh, assuming all goes well, uh, by our frequent contributor, Mandy Longley. She'll just be joining us a little late, but she is also a Studio Ghibli aficionado, so it's going to be great to hear her take on these films. All right, so as I usually do, I'm going to ramble through uh, a sort of brief synopsis uh, summary of the film Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. I'm going to give the spoiler warning. There are spoilers. I don't believe in spoilers, however. Yes, there are some things that are sort of gotcha moments in movies. Um, I recently watched M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Old, and of course that, his films tend to have one of those. I have nothing against those. I really liked Old. I think they have valid 
they're a valid device to use in storytelling. However, most films do not have that element. So when I say spoiler, it just, I'm going to tell you what happens. And we're going to talk about specific things. It's not going to remove your enjoyment of the film if it sounds like your kind of movie. So go watch it. Even if you know the plot, you're still going to be engaged. I promise. And if you disagree, you can write Tad at Colton Classic Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Still waiting for everyone's fucking hate mail. Bring it. <laughs> All right. So Nazca is uh, the, it actually is a word from the Odyssey, I believe it's Greek, that means uh, shipbreaker or shipwrecker, something along those lines. And Nazca is the name of the princess of the Wind Valley or the Valley of the Wind in this created futuristic post-apocalyptic universe uh now it is actually this movie is based off the first two volumes of a 27 volume epic uh manga which is japanese comic that hayao miyazaki wrote and illustrated it is it is his opus uh in many ways and it's uh it's evident i think in this film i'm just going to say that right away it's going to be very clear my stance on this movie i cry every time i watch this movie it is my favorite of these sort of serious um uh, uh war themed uh, studio ghibli films now people are going to argue with me about that up and down about princess mononoke and they're, they're going to argue and i'm going to tell them why they're wrong and that's fine <clears throat> but the plot is is that there is it, it there's been a massive war that has burnt the earth um and in this now mythologized war there were seven giants which are these big biomechanical machines of some kind they were created by mankind and they essentially destroyed the world it's like a stand-in for um mutually assured destruction on a nuclear scale right instead of bombs we have these big uh giant seven harbingers of doom that torch the earth after that human they've been destroyed or died etc and what has grown in the wake of these uh, torched earth is two things there are these little villages and uh, what becomes tiny empires of people, as one would expect. And then there are these uh, jungles, these forests of toxicity. Now, they're beautiful forests full of lush uh, uh, flora and fauna, lots of big insects. Um, they're very insect heavy in this these forest worlds. And they are... Um, toxic to people they are spores and the air itself is toxic so uh, people can only go in there with masks and if you don't have the mask you get sick and eventually it kills you now this wind valley where nausicaa is the princess has uh, they're they're close to both an ocean and the edge of one of these this toxic forest so what happens is is they sort of have learned to live with the forest but they do get long-term airborne illnesses that slowly kill them cause them paralysis things like that but they think it's it's a okay way to live. Well, they're protected because the sea wind protects them from most of the toxicity and a surrounding forest of trees does the rest of it. Everything's going swell until this big airship crashes in the uh, vil the villagey area. And the only survivor who dies shortly after crash landing is the princess of another uh, empire who says you have to destroy what's in the cargo. Nausicaa says, absolutely. And then they find a bug in the cargo. And Nausicaa is sort of the bug whisperer. She has a deep connection with the forest and she believes um, in protecting life. So she manages to sort of guide the bug back to the jungle. Well, they assume that's what she meant by burn what's in the cargo. But what it actually is, is a big egg that turns out to be the last dormant survivor of these big giant killer creatures that torch the earth that mankind created. Well, uh, sure enough, the third and most warlike of the empires that are in this film show up and say, hey, we want that egg back. Um, we stole it from that other place that is now decimated. And you should join us because we're unifying everyone so we can use this big killer monster to destroy the toxic forest so none of us have to live in fear anymore. There's At the beginning, you'd think on paper that makes a little sense, but this group is pretty vicious, and the first thing they do when landing is kill the king, who is bedridden, which is, of course, Nausicaa's father. She freaks out, shows herself to be incredibly badass, and basically kills the entire entourage in the king's chamber before the sword master, who's on her side, shows up and quells the battle. And she's horrified that she's killed, but she makes a good go of it, and... and uh, they they're taken captive she tells her people to follow this this new 
crusading empire because what other choice do you have? They take her captive, but all of a sudden, somebody from that other decimated empire, remember there are three, there's the first one that got destroyed before we even saw him. There's a second one, which is the uh, warlike one, which is now taken over Nazca's village. And then there's Nazca's village, the Valley of the Wind. So this uh, one survivor shows up with a gunship and takes out the entire group of this empire's flying machines and they all survivors land in the middle of the toxic jungle well Nasca, of course goes to save everyone she can and she ends up meeting the i would say he's a love interest but there's no i mean it's a war and it's appropriate that there really isn't a love story here and i, I really appreciate that um, but she saves this guy and they find out that underneath the toxic jungle the trees have been uh, growing and then dying and basically purifying the uh, toxic environment. So the water there is clear, uh, clean and the uh, broken down tree material becomes fertile soil. So uh, the, she finds out that these, basically the insects that are um, very scary and attack people that crash into the forest or kill insects and this toxic air are all related. The insects are protecting the jungles because they know that the jungles are actually purifying the earth from all this horrible irradiated material that mankind has uh, seeded the topsoil with across the world. Um, but the other empires don't really give a shit about that all they care about is they want to wipe out these bugs so they don't have to worry about this toxic spreading and they want to burn down the forests because america so <clears throat> what happens is uh this original decimated group that you think might be like sort of in line with nausicaa because hey this warlike empire just took them over no, they're actually kind of assholes because what they do is they capture a baby ohm, which are the big uh, grub-like shielded insects that are the most dangerous, and they've wounded it and are dragging it through the sky to lead a giant charging mass of enraged ohms to decimate the Valley of the Wind and thus defeat uh, its new cap its new captors, the the evil empire essentially. So. Uh, Nausicaa has to go save this creature and then has to basically convince the Ohm, who are rage insects uh, with red glowing eyes when they're angry, she has to convince them to stop their rampage in time to save her people. And she does this and it seems to cost her her life. And then, spoiler alert, the Ohms, which are sort of benevolent beings, uh, use their tiny insect tentacles to seemingly heal her and uh, her village realizes, oh, it wasn't some guy in this prophecy that said they saved the world. It was her. Great. We, we sort of uh, flip the script on the gender bias prophecy here. It all wraps up really beautifully. The animation is stellar. The story is complicated. And if, for those of you who like it and haven't checked out Nausicaa, the manga, again, this is the first two volumes, essentially, give or take. The, the, the actual full story is about 27 volumes, although they're thinner volumes. Uh, and, and it ran from 88, actually before that, right? So I can't even remember when it got published, but in the 80s into like 1996, so long after this film was made and completed. But I've talked way too much. It is a story with a lot of heart. It uh, gets very sad. You watch these various groups who are sort of injured, do other injurious, injurious things to other people because they're injured. And it screams of authenticity because we watch this happen in the world. We do this. Uh, it makes you really struggle with being a person. And, uh, and, and I, I identify with that on a spiritual level. So let's dive right in. Mandy, you've joined us. Uh, what was your, one, I assume you've seen this film before. Um, what was your take watching it this time with uh, an analytical eye, knowing you'd have to talk about it? Ah, yeah. So this, I believe, was the first Kiyosaki film that I ever saw. Like, wait, oh, they had turned on my noise thing. She's, How's Mandy's that? That very soft-spoken. Much better. I just, yeah. Okay, and it's the end of a long week. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We're recording this on a Friday, everyone. So if we sound tired, it's because we're tired. Retired. Yeah, so this was the first Miyazaki film that I ever saw, um, I probably about 20 years ago. And um, I remember really falling in love with his whole um, storytelling style. And going back and rewatching it this time around, um, I remember it, like, I guess, like in hindsight, having seen a lot of his other films, like it, it is softer, like it felt softer to me in his storytelling. Um, 
than some of his other ones, like, uh, what was it? Uh, the one with the wolf girl in it, Princess. Princess Mononoke. Mononoke, um, yeah. So it was like, it feels like a similar story to that, but much softer, although it's still very serious. Um, and I really enjoyed like the soundtrack. <laughs> like it's, it's a, a very great like soundtrack. great soundtrack was very like period like you were like oh yeah that was from a certain time <laughs> it's it's um, very much it reminded me weirdly enough um of uh, I, I think there's there's quite a few but i think uh i can't remember who did the soundtrack i apologize but yes the it's one of those where it reminded me of charles band like actually their music that they do for a lot of um full moon productions actually kind of reminded me of this because it has this faux orchestral but also sort of vaudevillian feel it's really strange but it worked 100 percent for me did, yeah no but i just um i really loved this again just miyazaki having these strong female characters um with a lot of heart and like a moral compass and just very sweet and genuine um it was really nice um to go back to this one yeah, and, and so it's interesting you say softer, because I think, especially when probably the most well-known in the West, um, Miyazaki movie, uh, Studio Ghibli film, is Spirited Away, um, which is much more of a, uh, a family film, or My Neighbor Totoro. And by family film, I mean nothing extremely dangerous or threatening or scary occurs in the films. Um, maybe a little scary, but it's you feel safe. The characters are safe. And this one, it's I, I think of it sort of as like there's Shakespeare's comedies and there's Shakespeare's tragedies, right? Like his tragedies are very different in vibe than his comedies. We sort of have that with Studio Ghibli. There's less of a divide, but movies like Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind and Princess Mononoke, they have uh, an air of danger and there's often great sadness right? Like we watch characters cry and this characters die. We watch characters cry all the time. Um, there's this big sacrificial arc in it, uh, but he leaves us with a, frankly, a happy ending. Um, and that's something that I don't know if he lost, he didn't lose that as he grew older, but I do think that there was a little bit more narcissism coming, uh, not narcissism, uh, fatalism coming in a little bit more sort of hard-hearted he Hiyo Miyazaki is famous for saying anime is trash uh which is a great quote for someone who makes some of the best anime in the world but we understand what he's saying right there's a lot of mm, bubblegum or popcorn anime just like there's a lot of it's like if you look at something I'm just picking something out of there but you would look at Star Wars and then you look at um like Cleopatra 2025 or whatever that show was in the in the early 2000s. You know, it's like there's a difference between something, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation versus um, Buckaroo Banzai. Like they're very different intent. And, and this film sort of is an interesting blend. I almost think this film is the strongest blend of Miyazaki's two modes, the family story sweet mode and the problematic human behavior war mode because this film does have a very strong anti-war sentiment um the lead character who's the most beautiful pure of all the creatures um she's capable of violence but she does everything she can to cause joy and peace and everyone else around her cannot help but fall into conflict they are all battling um, and we basically have every single side making terrible decisions. Even her own villagers uh, are only sort of saved by the grace of her influence, right? Because she's doing the right thing and the kind thing. She pushes them to do the kind thing because they say several times, like, why can't I shoot him? That kind of thing. Uh, and so I think that that's really interesting to look at uh, in this. And I should say to this is actually not a Studio Ghibli movie in the technical sense. This was filmed right before Studio Ghibli was filmed, uh, was, was created. So Castle in the Sky was the first Studio Ghibli production. Of course, now it's owned and, and distributed by Studio Ghibli. So it is most certainly a Studio Ghibli film in cast, crew, all of that stuff and story. But technically, it was created before Studio Ghibli was officially formed. So that's an interesting little note of that. Uh, let's go to Greg. Greg, have you seen this before? And what do you think about it watching it now? Um, no, I had not. Um, and you you referred to this as uh, Miyazaki's magnum opus. And I think that's great if you uh, define magnum opus as a film made specifically for the director with no regards to 
entertainment <laughs> value. Oh. Um, it, it, it's, I mean, it's it's the Studio Ghibli film for for cinephiles. That's what it is. Um, it's really technically great. There's a lot of like those like wide shots where you're like, oh my god, like that's a that's a fucking painting. Like take that and hang that on my wall. But I kind of found myself a lot of the time. I'm watching. I'm watching. Okay, here's a wide panning shot. We're establishing where a character's going. Um, Nausicaa's flying somewhere. Okay, 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 okay. Um, just found myself waiting, but you know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it overall. I mean, I was, I was, I waited to look up the the voice cast afterward. We're looking at Allison Lohman as Nausicaa. We got Patrick Stewart as Lord Yupa. Uma Thurman's here. Um, Tress McNeil, Mark Hamill, Edward James Almost, Shia LaBeouf out of nowhere. Like it was just. It, I think that that really showed they got some serious voice acting pedigree for, uh, I mean, they always, they always do, but yeah, um, since they, since the distributorship has gone through Disney, Disney has made an effort to make sure that it has a sort of yeah. a star studded cast, which is interesting because they don't necessarily advertise the cast much as the, as, as uh, you know, Robin Williams stayed, stayed absent on uh, the Aladdin poster, even though we all knew he was there. It's one of those, it, this is even more of a guessing game. Every time you listen to a Disney dub release of, uh, which by the way, guys, uh, HBO Max currently as of this recording has the full US uh, Disney release of uh, Studio Ghibli's works uh, on, on HBO Max. So go check that out. You can watch it here. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice production. And the first voice that you hear be, uh, being, um, uh, well, not the first voice, but one of the first voices being Patrick Stewart is sort of a, it stopped me in my tracks because I had originally seen this uh, subbed. And so uh, in theaters, which is great because every year, if you guys don't know, every year there's Studio Ghibli uh, hits U.S. theaters in limited releases. And most places around the U.S. have somewhere you could drive through to see them. And they do all the big ones, uh, Nasca included. And I agree. This is a film to see in theaters because you do have these grandiose landscapes. The animation is stunning. There's so much hand-painted work. I feel like if I were able to ask him, Miyazaki would be interesting, but uh, there's plenty of interviews about this film uh, across the web, but it, it seems very heavily inspired by like European animation uh, and experimental animation. For example, the ohms, a lot of the time, instead of being fully animated uh, by hand, they're actually moved painted cells. So like the, the sort of armadillo armor plates on the ohms are actually painted cells that are then moved. And that's a, a sort of a, a heavy representation of European animation, uh, especially of the time. And so I think that even heavy metal, like that sort of vibe, uh, I think came with this. And uh, I would say French especially came, probably played into his view on this. I could be wrong, but if you like the 70s and 80s era of French science fiction animation, of which there is a good amount, then this is probably right up your alley. And that goes for the designs too. We get a lot of sort of fungal, uh, insect, a lot of these less con usually considered less desirable aspects of nature that are made quite beautiful. Um, and I actually also like Greg, you said, if by magnum opus, I mean films the director made for themselves uh, as the main audience. And it's totally true. And I actually do love that hedonistic vibe because I think we get some of our most interesting films when that happens because when a director or a filmmaker of any kind is or an artist of any kind is focused solely on getting their vision out the way they want it we often get these things that um flip the script that really just do things that we wouldn't otherwise see and of course we're all about that here on Colton classic podcast so i do think that's true but i think hedonism does play a part in this uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the U.S. release of this film, uh, but I'll get to that after we get to uh, Tad and then Jeff. Tad, what was your take watching this film? Did you see it before? And what do you feel seeing it now? I knew about this movie for years, but we never watched it. Uh, my first introduction to uh, Miyazaki's stuff was Princess Mononoke, which I found to be, eh, I don't think it was that great. And in fact, this this movie almost made me think that Mononoke kind of was a rehash of the a lot of the themes and even a lot of the artwork of this. Um, I did enjoy this, uh, especially in the way that, you know, I'm a big uh, fan of the Final Fantasy series, and I think a lot of Square's inspiration came from some of Miyazaki's stuff. Absolutely. Like, you like the chocobos in the beginning? Yeah, there's some fucking chocobos in this movie. <laughs> and there's also the the 
absolutely butchered at this point and repeated plot of the planet have being in danger and bullshit i'm playing the final fantasy 7 remake right now and it's kind of showing me the same problem that i had with the original final fantasy 7 that i have with nausicaa is that it's true to the source material to an extent but you realize that when the source material is so large and there's so much story to tell you end up needing to cut so much stuff like everyone i'm pretty sure everyone on this podcast has played the original final fantasy 7 right I have. No? Mandy is not, though, but everyone Mandy. else has. Really? Okay, well, anyway, point is, is that after... Mandy loses nerd points. I do, I do not play video games. I play Tetris, which is barely a video game. <sighs> anyway. And that's basically it. Yeah, All right. She's a different person than me. <laughs> hey, who that, knew? That part is where we diverge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my point being is that um, especially now that I'm older, um, one of the issues that i had after coming back to the game for so long is that the plot sucks like i'm probably gonna piss off some nerds right now and i don't fucking care i'm still waiting for my hate mail but the plot sucks the plot it's is very crap. convoluted in final fantasy 7 it's, it's there are two the stories that they cram together arbitrarily and it's a it's it's a fucking acid trip with no point it's like yeah and you realize we're, we're realizing that more and more i think with art now is that there are very large stories that people want to tell that they need a long form for it that they simply didn't have access to back then like everything kind of had to be big in your face we got to cram it all somehow into two hours we don't need to do that anymore and as a matter of fact it seems like more artists and studios are getting on board with the idea that they may want to tell stories that stretch out for hours on end and you and people are totally down with that because obviously now we're in the age where if your property is moderately successful you will get a goddamn tv show and you may get multiple seasons depending on how many few million people tune in because at this point the human race is so fucking populated that all you got to do is uh please a few million people and you can rake in cash so look you don't have to hate on fast and furious nine that's not fair um i can't fair I, I I just find it hard to believe that Fast and Furious has almost as many sequels as Star Trek and Star Wars at this point. It's all about family. Um, oh, yeah. God. So I think I think you're you're validated on the fact that this is a complicated plot. In fact, I've seen it several times, and now of course I know the plot without thinking about it. But at the time, I remembered being like, ah, if this was a book, it would be easier to remember the names of these people, of these, I still don't remember the names of the yeah. empires uh, or the individuals aside from Nausicaa. Uh, but I, it's interesting because, <clears throat> well, let's get to you, Jeff. Uh, and then and then I'll, I'll, I'll give my two cents and some backstory, some interesting facts about the releases of this film. Jeff, had you seen this before? I believe you have. And now that you watched it again, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, of course I've seen this before. I own all of Miyazaki's films. Uh, I am a Miyazaki shill. I'm just going to uh, say, you need to speak louder. You and your sister are the loudest people I know in my life, and both of you have been suspiciously quiet. Yeah, this is kind of weird. Mm. I will better. say that it's probably too much information, but this year, this week being a long week, as I mentioned, part of it was actually cleaning out my ears so I can actually hear better this so week. So you can hear. So well, I'm not talking so loud, which is why I like... Yeah, I'm basically like an old person. Like, I'm always shouting because I can't hear myself. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have a second yeah. pair of earbuds beneath these yeah, earbuds like right now. inside the so. earbuds, yeah. Hmm. This is weird because I never changed my volume on my thing. So is that better? Yeah. Much better. All right. Awesome. So, uh, yes, of course, I've seen it. I own all of Miyazaki's films. I am a endless shill for Miyazaki. I love and his... And we love you for it. I love his style. Um, yes. And... And I, I think the thing about this particular film that sets it out from the other films is it, it was, it's actually older than I am. Um, and the art style is kind of that 80s style. And uh, I really do love, um, you know, all of the art styles from all of his films. Um, but this one's very, uh, very different. Um, and I, and I kind of love that um, kind of like surrealistic, kind of like the masks just look weird. Um, you know, they look, they're like this kind of like breather thing with like some kind of like ears flopping out from the sides. It just, it looks weird, but it's, it, it sets like a kind of like a tone and like a, a feeling that goes throughout the whole film where, you know, every, every frame is really interesting and full of things that you're like, well, what's that? that uh, that's not from my universe. Um, 
And I love that type of thing because you can you can really rewatch it over and over again, you know, almost with the sound off and just enjoy the film. Um, but everybody's right here. Th this film is actually the most complex and kind of convoluted of all of his films. Um, there's um, he he does this actually, you know, m almost throughout almost all of his films. Um, you, you know, especially the ones that. Uh, Nate was talking about there's like a lot of stuff happening outside of the main characters um, there's like a lot of breath to it kind of like if you're reading a book but you're like missing like a couple chapters um, and in this case yeah there's like you know made up places with made up people in them and it's really hard to follow and track um, but having said that the 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 general thread of like how he generates a narrative he doesn't create a villain like there's like yeah. there's people that are assholes in the film but their downfall is not like the structure of where the film is going mm -hmm. uh, usually there's some sort of man not balanced with nature um and you know it's really the realization of that in the the you know the um conclusion of that balance that is the um, end of the narrative um the you know, you know the climactic moment in this film is you know nausicaa essentially you know sacrificing herself for um a um a baby bug creature um in in you know in hopes to you know calm down the bugs because here here's the like the basically the you know the moral of all of miyazaki's stories is like when you're when you when you let hate take the lead you start making like bad decisions you start kind of like this uh shoot first ask questions never kind of mentality and you just uh, you just perpetuate that same cycle over and over and over again and it's just destruction 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 you know until there's nothing left um and yeah. it's it's crazy that he's making you know animated films you know for you know the family um that that have such a heavy token but i think that that's the, his craft as a filmmaker he's able to to distill these ideas down and put them um basically these great characters at the lead so you're really following a character you're following nausicaa and you love nausicaa because she's selfless she's caring um she's like all of those great characteristics um of your hero um and you know that character essentially you know guides you through this horrible world um to safety to the end where you get that lovely um you know positive ending in this case and i, I love I, love, I agree with everything that you said um and tad to get sort of what you were thinking so this i get that very much with this film is that people see princess mononoke first because it was before Spirited Away, it was the Miyazaki film that got the wide release that everybody saw. And a big part of that, um, a reason why I think a lot of people sort of saw it and were like, oh, this is amazing, is because Neil Gaiman did the English adaptation script for it. And so all the Sandman and Neil Gaiman fans, like myself, saw it. And I liked Princess Mononoke, but I will actually say uh, it is my least favorite Miyazaki film. And it's, and it's partly because... I feel like Nausicaa is a much more complex version of it. And I feel like Mononoke is the much more accessible and incredibly beautifully animated as well, um, using a lot more modern techniques. Um, so it's like, this is, as Jeff said, this is a very classic 80s style um, technique where everything is beautiful. There's a lot of painted work, painstaking. Um, and then not that there isn't a lot of work in painstaking detail in, in Princess Mononoke, but they use a lot of... Uh, I would describe it as kinetic. Yes, Mononoke is very kinetic. Everything is moving yes. and they're interacting with each other. There's in bits this and really... blood and scales and feathers flying everywhere. Or, I mean, fur, like it's very much that. And it is much simpler. It takes the idea. Uh, and for me, I found it a little too on the nose in a way. And actually, I found that Princess Mononoke felt a little bit mean spirited is not the right word. But if, if Nausicaa is a tale of, um, caution and and like be wary of hate and single-mindedness and look at the world as a whole and other people in the context of what they've experienced then princess mononoke is um 
sort of an accusation. You're making a mistake. You're wrong. You're doing this incorrectly. You're hurting other people. Like it, it feels a little bit more angry, uh, maybe a tiny bit of desperation. And what I love about Nausicaa, and you said this, Jeff, when you said um, there's no villain. It's that every character, and Miyazaki, as you said, does this all the time. Every villain, quote unquote, character has a backstory that is one, not given an obnoxious exposition. It's beautifully worked into just the amount of detail that you need um, into the story. But you can kind of be like, I kind of get where they're coming from. Like um, the leader of the warlike empire, uh, she has this, who I think was Uma Thurman voiced her. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she has this line where she takes off her left gauntlet and you see that she basically has some sort of robotic arm she's missing her arm and she goes she has a great line in the translation which is uh, uh whoever becomes my husband's going to see a lot worse than that and it's these little moments where that's all you really needed to be like oh i get it she's she's been hurt to the point where she no longer sees grayscale she sees black and white right wrong this or that um, so it, it informs all of her decisions, whereas Nausicaa has seen and been had horrible things inflicted on her in this film. You know, her father's killed early on in cold blood. Um, and yet she maintains her humanity and, and views all the characters from this sort of higher level place where everybody has value. And what I love about movies like this, and Miyazaki's a master of this, is that when you see uh, everybody's mistakes, um, from that higher level where it's ho a holistic view and you can kind of understand where they're coming from, even if you think they're wrong. It, it's the way that shows people when they're wrong, even if they don't see that right away in themselves. You know, you could show someone who is sort of the leader of, a, you know, a terrorist organization who's lost their family at a young age and thinks that what they're doing is right. You could show them a film like this and they would understand that the quote unquote bad guys are doing the wrong thing and it's just that next step then that it's on the person watching to say am i like that how am i like that and and that's the sort of thing and it's this really beautiful and children i think get that message a lot better than adults sometimes because we assume we're right children's are told always that they're wrong so this is the kind of thing that really can help people see see what they should be doing and the, the importance of kindness and caring for other people yeah, and forgiveness and like people are, you know, people make mistakes and they get led down the wrong path. Um, and, you know, like like in this particular movie, you know, the Mark Hamill coming, you know, he always voices a jerk in Miyazaki films for some reason. <laughs> but like, he's like, he's probably the jerkiest of all the jerks, but you, you, you get like that, you know, he's just trying to protect his people. You know, he, he says like, you know, what are we supposed to do? Just like, you know, surrender and like, you know, become, uh, you know, uh, uh, servants of this this other group. And you're like, yeah, you're wrong. But like, I get that you're just trying to pick, protect your people. You're doing it absolutely horribly. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, everybody can see like, yeah, the war is evil. And this guy is, is you know, full on wrong uh, for, for going into it. But he's still, like, you can, you can see in that very just brief amount, you can see how he got there. Like you see the the path to how you know he was you know a decent person just looking out for his people, and then he became um, he 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 went down the wrong path into warring and doing horrible fucking things. For sure, and and this is a good time to get into sort of the distribution history of this film. So this film was actually released in the U.S. Um, by New World New World Cinema, and here's the thing: so New World Cinema has made some of my favorite bad movies. But what happened is, is they got this film and they cut about 25 minutes of it, changed dialogue, and, it, and, and they released it in, in 1985. And they released it as Warriors of the Wind. Now, you can find this cut sort of floating around in places. Uh, it's very poor color. It's, it is what it is. Um, but what they did is that they removed all <laughs> subtext and all heavy elements to make it a straight action adventure. And then when they released the promos and everything, Nausicaa wasn't even the lead on, they, they moved other characters that looked cool, quote unquote, to the front and put all the female characters in the back. Needless to say, uh, Hiromizaki was horrified and he, and he actually didn't distribute any movies in the US because of this, uh, for the most part, uh, until um, 
until princess mononoke was the, the next big uh release and that of course had the stipulation that nothing be cut it'd be a straight translation there are no changes now harvey weinstein human trash uh as as we all know him to be uh was at this time still a big movie mogul and he wanted to to release Princess Mononoke. And so he was working back and forth, his people with uh, Studio Ghibli, and Hayao Miyazaki uh, said, it can't be cut. And Harvey Weinstein said, actually, it has to be cut, and we're gonna cut it, and it's gonna be more like Warriors of the Wind. To which Hayao Miyazaki basically, and probably not even basically, he's a very direct person, said, fuck you, I'd rather it burn in hell. And, uh, and Harvey Weinstein, got angry because he is human trash and said uh, sent off a fired off a thing saying he will never release a film in the united states you know you just burnt your bridge or whatever and now harvey weinstein is hopefully in really poor health and dying and uh, a piece of garbage and Miyazaki is one of the most revered filmmakers of all time so stick to your guns do what's right and when you meet someone like Harvey Weinstein kick him in the balls because he really shouldn't reproduce I'm if he has children which I think he does um, they can be wonderful people I'm not holding it against them but why take the chance kick him in the balls solve the problem uh, that's that's my crudeness for this episode but anyway uh, so Disney has been very respectful, apparently, uh, and has released great translations of the films. Now, I will say, I actually find, as a side note, some of the celebrity voices, they do a great job. Obviously, I adore, um, uh, uh, I adore Jean-Luc Picard, but, and Patrick Stewart's just amazing across the board. I do find it to take me out occasionally. Like uh, we'll talk about the next film, Porco Rosso. Michael Keaton does the voice of Porco Rosso. He does a great job. Everyone does a really good job, but it's just, it's a little too much for me for some reason. It separate, it, it makes me think of other things while I just want to watch the film. And this is me going on my crusade again. And not just because I am a voice actor on occasion, but because I want voice acting to be taken seriously as an art form, as well as acting. So if you're amazing on screen, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should just get a place behind the microphone. There are amazing people, Frank Oz, et cetera, who have much better, stronger careers behind the microphone because they can do things that screen or stage actors, they can't do because they, they're only using part of their skill set. They're not using the physical uh, visual skill set. So that's just something to think of. I think a good example is the My Neighbor Totoro Disney release uh, dub. It's very good, but the original, I believe it's Fox Searchlight or Fox release of My Neighbor Totoro with a lot of the Rugrats cast doing the voice is even better. So um, let's just keep that in mind, people, as we're having our movies cast. Of course, a big part of it too is if you get a theater release, you want some acting clout behind there that people will recognize, but let's try and break that trend. So we're going to move to recommendations. We're going to do this fast uh, so we can get you guys to your day. And then next week, we'll bring you the next episode of this. Greg, would you recommend Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind? And if so, why? I mean, I would recommend any Studio Gilby film. It's it's kind of not hard to. Um, but I I like Princess Mononoke more. I've always liked it more, um, even after seeing this. Um, I, I appreciate what you said, Jeff, about um Miyazaki villains kind of not being villains but a little more sympathetic but I think Nausicaa especially all of his villains kind of have this sense of them where they're like hey it's nothing personal but I'm gonna kill all your people and you're like <laughs> well like at what point do you cross the threshold and you know how, you know how did we get to a point where Corella has this origin film where her parents are killed by Dalmatians and we're trying to to find ways to relate to villains and you know what, by the way guys are, if you haven't seen Cruella that actually happens in the yeah movie. so so Spoiler enjoy that right. when you watch it um but you know I think I think Nausicaa has some people I'm like you know what I want to I want to see a little Princess Mononoke where the villain we see this this they have this big battle and we see that they've murdered all these um living pigs like these these sentient gods demons whatever they were um and like it's a, it's a massacre versus in this it's all off camera that they they committed genocide on this group of people when there's maybe the, the original series Star Wars did yeah 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 um uh but yeah so I mean my my recommendation would be yes it is a good studio Joby film it's a little more for the the film buff I think 
I'd say check out Princess Mononoke first. Um, if the idea of an apocalypse film is a little too dark for you, go watch Wally instead. You know, that's a <laughs> that's a light one. So, yeah. And you get that's a happy cockroach. With barely any dialogue ever. Yeah. That's right. Oh, um, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I did want to just add that. Also, I really appreciate, especially coming off of um, thinking about the um, the Last of Us and like a fi- uh, the second one that got some rebuke for daring to show a woman with biceps. I appreciate that um, <laughs> Nausicaa has broader shoulders and mm-hmm. some clear muscles. And you know what? Everything turned out okay at the end of the film. That's I right. was okay. Not only everything's she not sexualized, fine. but she's sort of amazing. <clears throat> so yeah, I appreciated I appreciated character design in this film. Nailed I don't it. know exactly I don't know exactly how she was gonna be able to fly around on a glider without having some fucking pipes. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. She's holding herself up. By the way, that glider is amazing design. All the other gliders are not as good as that. Uh, Tad, would you recommend Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind? And if so, why? Honestly, no. And mainly because I think I would honestly recommend that people just read the manga instead. Because the story is far more complete and has a lot more... uh, You you get more of the world building. Like, this movie wants to cram as much of that world building as possible. And Miyazaki's fantastic at that. However, Miyazaki crammed a lot of world building into a very small ball. And frankly, this probably would have been better if he could have, I don't know, made it into a two, three parter. That way he could have told the the story better. I felt like there was just too much crammed into it and I couldn't get fully into it. And that's not to say that I did not appreciate the soundtrack, the art, the character. A lot of the soundtrack, by the way, was uh, modified Handel. So it's sort of classic with some new stuff in there. It's all the elements were there. But again, like I was talking, like I was talking about before, the story just was missing so many things that I had a really hard time pulling it all together. And thankfully, because I've watched enough anime and played enough video games, my brain was able to kind of piece together the plot because I went, oh, I know what's going to happen now. So read the manga instead. Sure. And I mean, I think I think a second viewing of this film helps because that's when I actually got a handle of who did what sometimes, especially when they're just telling me as opposed to me seeing it. Um, but yeah, I think it's also, this is a two hour movie, which at the time of release was pretty long, especially for an animated feature, which is why it was cut down so much in the U S release. Well, one of the reasons also, uh, the U S sentiments in it are not the best, uh, for, for, uh, you know, U S mindset with military doesn't come out well in, uh, studio Ghibli films. Let's just say that. Uh, yeah, so interesting, interesting take. Jeff, would you recommend Studio Ghibli's uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind? I would very much so suggest it. I, I actually, because I, I, I disagree, I, I do think it's very complicated, um, but it does provide something that the, you know, the the manga's not. It, it, you know, it's a little bit easier to get into. Um, it is going to be hard to get everything out that you need to. Um, so, you know, go watch this and then be inspired to go watch, go finish reading the manga um, if you wanted more. Um, and just a final comment. So the, the reason I think now I haven't seen Cruella and I'm not going to make a comment on that. But so the reason it's interesting when when movies actually draw like, you know, a, a clear pathway from like, you know, a normal person that's just a mayor of a city <clears throat> to like this guy that has thinks there's no other options but to do this horrible thing to protect his people the reason that that's interesting is because it like creates like a pathway to see like this you go from uh you know this point and then you just keep delving more into this us or them mentality and and that i think is interesting because it's like a pathway to say like you know don't don't go down there you know it's like uh it's the cautionary tale it's the it's the hey, you know, this type of thinking is not, you're not immune to it. You're a person and you can easily go down these essentially traps of, of thought. Um, and, you know, like, you know, if, if it were, you know, your family that's, you know, you're up against the wall, uh, you know, are you going to fight back? Probably. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's easy to get it at a mentality to, and to, to, to draw that, to draw that line in art, it allows people to see that and be like, I don't want to go down that path. That's not the right path for me. I don't want to be the villain at the end of the day. 
I agree. And I think Miyazaki would be very happy to see that line being connected by the viewer, um, as especially since the thread is so strong in, in all of his uh, quote unquote serious films and war themed films. Mandy, yeah. uh, before me, you're last on the docket. Would you recommend Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind? And if so, why? I would. If you find yourself wanting to go to a lot of environmental protests, you're very fired up about, <laughs> like, we all should be about the health of our Earth and climate change and how humans affect our world around us. Um, but it is pretty heavy. Like I, I mentioned, it is softer. And I think we talked about that a bit, how it's a little bit softer, has a happier ending than, like, Princess Mononoke. Um, but, I mean, it's like, uh, if I was going to recommend, like, a top five Miyazaki films like this wouldn't be in it uh, but it is obviously still beautiful and wonderful and worth your time if you want to go down that rabbit hole. Why would you only movie. watch the top five Miyazaki films? You watch I'm all of saying, them like once a month. <laughs> you, you watch the top five because then you know the person's going to want to watch the others. Yeah there you go. <laughs> but yeah it's a beautiful movie. Uh, we already talked about the themes. If it sounds like it'd be interesting to you watch it just do it yeah i think for me personally this is my favorite studio ghibli film um so it would be my number one uh and then for probably the the more fun family friendly my neighbor totoro would be especially the fox dub but any of them uh, would be my number two but there are there are plenty of reasons to watch any number of miyazaki's films and not just miyazaki's film studio ghibli has other people within its family uh that that make wonderful films uh the cat returns is one of my favorites it's sort of a pseudo sequel to uh whispers of the heart anyway there's so many you can't go wrong whether they're the ones released by disney or any other uh venue check them out i, I really recommend them i think nausicaa is beautiful and especially if you're like me and you love that heavy metal 70s um uh fantastic planet kind of vibe to your to your animated films this is really going to scratch that itch in a way that so many films almost do but miss so that is us for today talking about princess not princess well she is princess but nausicaa of the valley of the wind and we will be back next week with 1982's porco rosso which is a very different studio ghibli film but very exciting to talk about as well join us then write us uh online at colton classic podcast at gmail.com follow us on facebook and instagram at colton classic podcast Santad your hate mail and to play us out as always is just kidding leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.